You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Hi, this is Pastor Chris Tyen from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. And today I want to talk to you about Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection upheld. Believe in Him. So if we were together in church, I would say, He is risen. And you would say, He is risen indeed. So let's try that. He is risen. And you reply, He is risen indeed. All right, one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. Well, anyway, uh, I can't believe that we've been making these videos for a year, that we've been doing this for a year of COVID. And uh, here's a video that I want to share with you that kind of relates to how we're feeling about church, how we're feeling about COVID, how we're feeling about our faith. Here, watch this video. So much has changed since last Easter. The world has been shaken. Life has been disrupted. What we once called normal seems like it may never return. It's been easy to be discouraged, to lose hope, to feel the foundations of our faith begin to crumble. It's hard to keep our feet planted when the ground beneath feels like shifting sand. Now more than ever, we need to stand on the truth of Easter, a day which changed our eternity, changed our world forever. Death was defeated by life. Sin was consumed by mercy. The grave was swallowed up by victory. See, even in the darkest of moments, the love of Jesus could not be stopped. His faithfulness could not be broken. And when the dust settled, Jesus, he stood alive and victorious. Today, may we remember the truth of Easter, the power of the resurrection, and the promise of eternity. Yes, the world has been shaken, but the grave, it's still empty. And Jesus, he's still risen. Yep, that is true. All right, well, let me talk to you about Jesus' resurrection upheld. Okay, we need to believe in him. So there is... Uh, a requirement that if we want to truly be saved, if we want to be uh, adopted as a child of God, if we want to be assured heaven, we need to believe in Jesus' resurrection. It is a non-negotiable. So let's look at what the Bible has to say about that. So if you bear with me, I'm going to read a bunch of Bible verses. And anyway, uh, first we're going to start out with Lazarus. Remember Jesus' friend, Lazarus, he died and Jesus took his time getting there. And then Jesus... Uh, came and he shouted out, uh, 
And then Lazarus came back from the dead in his grave clothes. And then stinky Lazarus came out. Jesus like, it's great to see you, friend. Now hit the showers. You stink like a football coach after a, after a game. Anyway, number one, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Believe in him. I'm going to put the verses across the screen here. But Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead here. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found out that Lazarus had been already in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Martha says, yes, Jesus, I understand that eventually, someday, that he will rise from the dead. And Jesus is saying, in this particular circumstance, he's going to rise today, that I have the power to do this, that I have the power over death, that I can bring the dead back to life. And so Jesus did that for Lazarus to prove that he was who he said he was. So there are so many situations in life where I wish that Jesus would come and raise somebody that I love back up from the dead. But there is a time and season for everything, and there is a time to live and a time to die, and we don't know how long that time is. So we should value each day. We should value each moment. We should value each opportunity to share Jesus and trust that when it's our time to die, we will die, and then we will go to be in the presence of Jesus if we are believers in Christ. Verse 26, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I'm asking you right now. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that when you die, that you will go into pre in the presence of Jesus, that there'll be a bodily resurrection, that in Jesus you will live for all eternity? Because that is part of the Christian life. That is part of following Jesus. That is one of the great benefits. And I'm going to show you in a little bit why that's so important. All right, John 11, verse 27. Uh, Martha answers, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. And then you can continue to read in John chapter 11 about how Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You know, the, the Pharisees, you'd think they'd be excited about this. You'd think they'd be like, oh, the Messiah is here. Oh, this is so awesome. Uh, this is who we've been looking for. But no, they were jealous. They were upset. And they started to plot how they would kill Jesus. So did you know that Ken Davis, I don't know if you know who that is, but uh, he was a, a <clears throat> youth speaker, Christian comedian, got his start in Virginia, Minnesota, actually. But anyway, Ken Davis writes about a woman who looked out her window and saw her German shepherd shaking the life out of a neighbor's rabbit. Her family did not get along well with these neighbors, so this was going to be a disaster. She grabbed a broom, pummeled the dog until it dropped the now extremely dead rabbit out of its mouth, and she panicked. She did not know what else to do. She grabbed the rabbit, took it inside, gave it a bath, blow-dried it to its original fluffiness, combed it until that rabbit was looking good. 
snuck into the neighbor's yard and propped that rabbit back up in his cage. An hour later, she heard screams coming from next door. She asked her neighbor, what's going on? Our rabbit, our rabbit, her neighbor cried. He died two weeks ago. We buried him and he's back. Yeah. Rabbits don't rise from the dead. John Ortberg connects the story to Jesus' resurrection with the following comment. People in the ancient world knew dead rabbits tend to stay dead. The new dead rabbis tend to stay dead. A scholar by the name of N.T. Wright notes, there were many messianic movements in the first century. In every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome as Jesus did. And this is what he writes. In not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. But Jesus was raised from the dead. In the time that I have, I don't have time to explain all of the reasons why we believe Jesus was raised from the dead or how you can learn those reasons so you can share with others. But let me give you two resources. So they're available in books you can read and also in audiobooks. I like christianaudio.com and I like Audible. So uh, one is The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. He's a professor at Liberty University, writes a lot of books on the resurrection. Uh, Gary Habermas uh, and Michael Lacona also wrote that book. I don't know if I'm getting their last names right. And then Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell, his son. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, Josh McDowell knows me by name. Well, when I'm wearing my name tag, we brought him when I was down in Iowa to a counter the culture youth rally. He was the speaker and we were the youth leaders putting it on. So he'd look at my name tag. He'd be like, hi, Chris, I'm Josh McDowell. How are you, Chris? So call me by name when I have my name tag on. Made me feel real special. So anyway, number two, Jesus' resurrection is the backbone of our faith. Believe in him. You know, for years, I wondered what flipped the switch. What makes one go from unsaved to saved? From eternal death to eternal life. From separation from God to adoption as God's child. From unbeliever to believer. And the answer is believing the message and truly following Jesus. You know, I believe if you're truly converted and saved, you will keep following and not fall away for your entire lifetime. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the passage of Scripture, the part of Scripture that tells us what we need to believe to be saved. Paul laid it out and said, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to believe to be saved. So 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 1. I'm reading all of this out of the NIV today. He writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Stephen Cole writes, The resurrection is not a religious myth, which coincides with the springtime to inspire us with hope and positive thinking. Rather, it is in a historic fact that Jesus of Nazareth rose, rose bodily from the dead. It was a physical, not just a spiritual resurrection. To be sure, Jesus arose with a resurrection body, which has different properties from our earthly bodies, as Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 15, 35-49. But it was a body that could be seen and touched and could eat and drink. There are people in our day who say, well, if it helps you to believe in things like the resurrection, that's fine. If it's true for you, that's great, but it's not true for me. 
that they misunderstand the nature of verifiable truth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't something that's true for some, but not for others. It's like the law of gravity. You don't have to believe that gravity is true for it to be true. It is true whether you believe it or not, and it makes a great deal of difference whether you believe it or not if you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and decide to jump off. Even so, it makes a great deal of difference whether you believe in the truth of the resurrection. So Jesus knew that he was going to be killed, and he knew that he was going to rise from the dead. And he shared that repeatedly in Scripture. And so Jesus foretold that, and he was accurate. And we can believe that. There are so many reasons to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, one of the biggest reasons to believe it and share it is because that's what's required to be saved. Now, I don't think that you necessarily convince somebody to believe something they refuse to believe. I think the Holy Spirit helps. I think as people become familiar with God's Word, as they spend time in God's Word and with other believers, they start to wonder if the resurrection couldn't be possible, and then the Holy Spirit helps them to understand. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Uh, uh, Jesus, after he resurrected, that he appeared to Cephas, Peter. Uh, so um, Peter and Cephas are the same person. And then to the twelve. And then after that, he appeared to more, uh, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, a euphemism for dying. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So yeah, he appeared to Paul in a uh, miraculous way. So, on the road to Damascus. Anyway, you can read about that in the book of Acts. But Paul lists a number of people who saw the risen Savior. So, none of them were expecting to see Jesus, especially not Paul. I mean, Paul was in the middle of persecuting Christians, and Jesus shows up and says, why are you persecuting me? So, anyway, I think that fueled Paul's faith and helped him uh, to be sold out to Jesus. Now, we don't see Jesus face to face, but we can experience him when he answers our prayers, when he is active in our life, when uh, he helps us. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is an experience. It is not just me convincing myself. Uh, uh, Jesus isn't just my higher power. Uh, Jesus uh, is active in my life, and he has pursued me way more than I pursued him. Anyway, let me move on. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11, Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was, with not, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So Paul's talking about the transform, transformation, the transforming power of the gospel, the transforming power of the resurrection, the transforming power of believing that Jesus rose from the dead. And so he points out that he persecuted the church of God, yet he still was given an opportunity to serve Jesus. And because he met the resurrected Jesus, because Jesus was in his life, uh, it fueled him, inspired him, uh, made him work harder than the others. And he is laying out the gospel, saying, this is what you need to believe. This is what you believed. I'm reminding you of the things that are important to believe when it comes to the gospel of Christ, when it's important to teach, when it's important to share what the gospel is. This is it right here. 
You know, Christ's followers, when Jesus was on the cross, when he died, they were depressed and afraid. They were hiding away. And then Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus returned and they were filled with boldness and courage and purpose. If the resurrection was a hoax, there's no way that all of those disciples could have gone through life and uh, somebody would have spilled the beans. Somebody would have said, you know what? I just want to say before I go that it was all a hoax. And no one did that. As a matter of fact, they were persecuted for their faith and they died at the hands of men still proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Changed lives for the people who had believed. You know, all through the years, there are changed lives. My life was changed. You know, one of the most significant things about when I truly received Christ as my Savior, I had prayed many times to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I didn't really get it, didn't really believe. I was just praying the prayer. But when I truly believed Christ, I believe the Holy Spirit came into me and helped me to understand Scripture, and I quit. Two things I quit doing. So I cheated in school because it was convenient, not because I... Well, I was I was smart, but I just thought I was smarter by cheating. Like, for instance, ninth grade algebra. Half of the answers were in the back of the book, and I could ha get half of the answers from my friends. So why did I need to worry about that? Actually, I liked math. I just took a shortcut. And when it came time for the final, the uh, teacher, he's like, why don't you come sit up right next to me? And uh, so can't cheat when you're sitting next to the teacher. No one, no one to share answers with. So anyway, I failed. Had to take algebra again. So anyway, uh, when I got saved, I quit swearing and I quit cheating. Those are just two things that automatically happened. I can't say that I was sinless and perfect from that day on, but I'm just saying, transforming power of the gospel. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You know, it is hard to believe in the resurrection if you haven't seen it, experienced it. Uh, if you don't have the Holy Spirit helping you to believe it. But here a doctor explains the medical mirror, miracle of the resurrection. Thomas A. Miller, a surgeon and researcher, explores the miracle of Christ's resurrection from a medical angle. Dr. Miller notes that the body contains trillions and maybe even 100 trillion cells. Each one of these cells carries out thousands of different chemical reactions, thus a bodily resurrection would require some phenomenal power to energize life into all these individual cells but it would have to do so in such a way that specialized nerve cells could resume their unique function, heart cells perform theirs, blood cells and bone cells do theirs, and so on. Dr. Miller continues, Consider the heart as just one example. It beats an average of 70 times a minute, 4,200 times an hour, 100,800 times a day, and 36,288,000 times a year. And for that to happen, thousands of processes within each cell must act in a coordinated way to ensure that the blood entering the right side of the heart is effectively propelled into the lungs where the red blood cells contained in it discharge carbon dioxide and pick up oxygen, following which it returns to the left side of the heart where it is propelled to the tissues of the rest of the body. Do that they might receive precious oxygen they need to sustain their many functions. All this happens at least every second in such a smooth fashion that we are not even aware of it. And at the moment we die, all these processes come to a screeching halt. A bodily resurrection implies that thousands of processes and trillions of cells must be restarted with unique intricacy and inner coordination that existed before death. Dr. Miller notes that this would require not just incredible power, but unimaginable knowledge. He writes, even the latest 
Science has not unraveled the complete mystery of each of the cells of our bodies and how they interact and talk with each other, with one another. But for the resurrection of Jesus to occur, all that information had to be known in its completeness and totality and known to some 2,000 years ago. That's from Thomas A. Miller, Did Jesus Really Rise from the Dead? Crossway Books, 2013. Anyway, the Corinthians were not rejecting the resurrection of Christ per se, but there were some who were saying that there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. Paul is showing them the logical consequences of wrong belief. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised, and that's the case. Uh, a number of other things follow, which makes the entire Christian faith worthless. First uh, Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God and that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. So our preaching is vain. Our preaching is empty. Uh, can you imagine if people spent their life uh, proclaiming a message that wasn't true and then found out that it wasn't true? Uh, there are salespeople that do things like that. I think that some of the salespeople that proclaim messages that aren't true know it's not true, and they just continue to proclaim that message for the money that they make. But true preaching, uh, true proclaiming the Word of God is not that. So uh, there's no substance to the gospel. If Christ is not raised, Christianity, um, you know, it might be a nice moral way to live. And, you know, you might say, well, you know, even if there was no resurrection, I would want to be a Christian anyway because, you know, it's a pretty peaceful way to live. Um, you couldn't live the Christian life without help with the Holy Spirit. We have this problem of sin. Uh, we still struggle with sin, but really the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome sin, helps us to serve, helps us to believe, helps us to live the Christian life. There's no way that you can live the Christian life on your own without the help of the Holy Spirit. I believe that there's days of persecution coming, uh, that people are going to persecute the church, the ministers in the church, the leaders in the church, the people in the church, and we'll find out who are truly believers when persecution comes. So those who are totally sold out to Jesus will undergo persecution, and maybe they'll even delight in it because the Holy Spirit will help them. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs and just look at how many of those people were persecuted for their faith and how the Holy Spirit got them through. But nonetheless, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is powerless. If Christ has not been raised, then we have no hope of life after death. I'll continue on. Verse 16, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So Jesus, he came and he died on the cross, and he rose again, showing he had power over death, and that you could believe what he said if he said that he was going to forgive sin, then because he has power over death, and you can believe that, you can also believe that he has power to forgive our sins. That he, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit all testify together that by believing in Christ, by repenting, that's desiring the change of mind leading to a change of action, by desiring to turn from our ways and follow Christ, that we can be saved. Now, uh, Stephen Cole writes some more. Apart from the reality of the resurrection, faith is no good. Have you ever heard it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe? That's absurd. That's faith in faith. Faith is only as good as, an, as its object. You can believe with all your heart that your car will fly. You can drive it over the edge of the Grand Canyon at 80 miles per hour, firmly believing that it will fly. But your believing it doesn't make it true. If your car had been designed to fly, then believing that fact 
would be necessary for you to benefit from that feature, but faith is only as good as its object. So why is it worthless to believe in Jesus if he has not raised from the dead? Because we have a sin problem and God is absolutely righteous and cannot accept us into his presence if we have any sin. So Christ died on the cross as a substitute for our sins, and if he's not risen, then his death is no different than any other death, and faith in him is worthless, and we would still be in our sins. Jesus must, in fact, be risen if our faith is to be of any effect with regard to our sin problem. Verse 15, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Only, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. So if Christ has not been risen, then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. And there's no ground for believing that your departed loved ones who had put their faith in Christ are in heaven if Christ is not raised. So people have a lot of uh, fake ideas about death. I've had to do some funerals that were really weird of what people, family members shared about death. We don't become angels. So there's nothing in the Bible that says we become angels. We don't sit on a cloud and strum a harp, which seems to me to be the most boring thing in the world. So uh, good times ahead when we are raised in Christ. Good times ahead when we spend eternity with the Lord. And we need to trust that what the Word of God says is true. We need to trust that uh, Jesus is the one that can cover our sin, that He can pay off our sin debt, because there's no way we could ever afford it. There's no way we could ever be perfect enough. There's no way we would ever measure up. There's no way we would ever score high enough on the test. There's no way we would qualify. There's no way we could buy our way in. We need Jesus, and God offered Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Redeemer, the one who purchased our sin and then gave us his righteousness in exchange. What a great deal for us. That's how much God loves us. So the creator of us, the creator of the world, creator of people. I mean, he could just wipe us out and start again, but instead he chooses a way for us to glorify him through living for him, through serving him and through receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior and following him. All right. Um, I look forward to the day when I can see people who have died, when I can see people who have gone to heaven before me. So the first person I'm going to look for when I get to heaven is my adult son who died when he was 26 years old of an accidental drug overdose. He thought he had his addiction under control. I don't even know how the addiction started. I might have started with painkillers from the dentist. I don't really know. But somehow he got hooked and then he thought that he was okay. And then uh, he ran into somebody and he used again, and somehow he, the coroner said he accidentally overdosed, and he died. So I've heard his faith testimony. I baptized him. I'm sure that he's with Jesus. And when I get to heaven, the first person I'm going to look for is him. Then I'm going to look for my grandma, and then many other people. I'm going to look for my friend Mike Jacobs, who used to be part of our church. Uh, lots of people I've got on my list I'm going to be looking for. And I'm confident that they're there. It's going to be great days ahead for those of us who have believed in Christ. So anyway, number three, Jesus is our resurrected Savior and Lord. Believe in Him. Jesus is our resurrected Savior and Lord. Believe in Him. So Romans 10.8, uh, if you watched the uh, Good Friday message, uh, I shared this, I think, last Sunday. Uh, Romans 10.8, what does it say? The Word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. 
That is the message concerning, Moses first said that, that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So now twice we've seen that we must believe in Jesus' resurrection if we want to be saved. So you must believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. So that is part of the gospel message, part of the deal. If you believe, declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Confess means to give verbal affirmation. In this case, to acknowledge with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and was raised for you. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, we are acknowledging his rank or supreme place. We are pledging our obedience and worship. We are placing our life under his protection for safekeeping. We are pledging ourselves and our resources to his control for direction and service. Anyone can say he or she believes something, but God knows each person's heart. In this confession, it's not enough to merely utter the words. They must be declared, professed, proclaimed from the heart, expressing our full conviction. The gospel message, in a nutshell, is to confess and believe, and you will be saved. There is no reference to works or rituals. I love the Life Application Bible and the Life Application Bible Commentary. All right. So when you believe in your heart, that makes you right with God. God declares you not guilty for your sins. By prayer to God, you confess with your mouth your belief in God and what he has done for you. So uh, would you like to do that now if you've never done that before? Maybe today is the day. Uh, Praying is talking to God. Pray with me if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Dear Jesus, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I want to follow after you. I acknowledge that you rose again, that you ascended into heaven, that you can hear me now, that you're coming back. So forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me and make me the person you created me to be. I want to follow after you. I want to learn your ways. I want to do your work. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've done that, the Bible says you've been born again, become a new creation adopted as a child of God. You receive the Holy Spirit. You receive at least one spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit starts to work in you to help you to understand Scripture, to help you to understand the things of God, to empower you to serve, and so many other things when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me continue in Romans 10, verse 11. As the Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So who can call on the name of the Lord? Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here it's not saying that we will never be put to shame, that uh, there won't be times when we're disappointed. There will be times when we feel shame. But when it comes to being saved, when it comes to the fulfillment of this promise, God is not going to let you down. God is going to help you. You know, sometimes we go through difficulties and we don't understand why. Sometimes we go through hardships and we just don't get it. Sometimes we're like, God, where are you? Everything is messed up and you're not helping. Sometimes God can use a national crisis or a health crisis to draw people to himself. Sometimes God can use difficulty to put us in a better place. I'm always reminded of the guy who lost his job. He was praying that God would give him more money to provide for his family. And then he went to work and they let him go. And he's like, Lord, I was praying. I was praying so hard that you give me more money that I get a raise, that I get that promotion. Instead, I got let go. 
But do you know what happened? Of course you do, because you've heard the story before. He went looking for a job. He found a job. It paid more. It was a total answer to prayer. If he hadn't lost that job, he wouldn't have found that other job. And so God needed him to lose that job so that he would get that other job to provide the answer to his prayer. And I don't really know in your life the hardships that you're going through. But trust that God can work it out for good. Number four, number four, and I'm almost done, I promise. Jesus is our resurrected good news. Proclaim him. Proclaim him. If you believe in the resurrection, if you believe in Jesus, how could you keep that to yourself? All right, Romans 10, 14. How can they call in the name of the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them or sharing the message with them? Um, in our culture, we have this idea that if someone's preaching at you, they're screaming in your face. That's not necessarily true. Anyway, uh, sharing the message with them. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Verse 16, not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. You know, when we get people in the Bible, when we help them to understand the Bible, when we help them to understand what's in the Bible and how to read those 66 books and you know how to make sense of it all, as they spend time in God's Word, uh, that's living and active and works in their life. So consequently, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. You want more faith? Spend more time in God's Word. Memorize those verses that uh, encourage you in your faith. All right, uh, let me move to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. So um, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. So this is basically how we got the Bible here. So the Bible came as the Holy Spirit inspired men what to write. So it wasn't that the people who wrote the Bible, uh, you know, dictated every word. They used some of the words that they would usually word, use. But anyway, in their culture, in their language, the Holy Spirit inspired them. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 uh, says all scripture is God-breathed. Anyway, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.13, let me read this. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Which means that if you want more understanding... First, you need to trust and give your life to Jesus Christ. First, you follow Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit helps you. But on the other hand, often the Holy Spirit comes and draws you, convicts you of sin, and helps you to understand what you need to believe about Jesus so that you can get saved. So the Holy Spirit is at work before in your pre-Christian life, and then when you become a Christ follower. The Holy Spirit is active, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So anyway, I'm done. I'm done. So um, I am actually sharing this message uh, Sunday morning at the um, Oldenburg's restaurant um, because our church doesn't have a place to meet. So weird thing, right? COVID. Um, we had rented the school for a long time. We have 10 acres of land on the highway we've been paying on. And uh, turns out with the uh, increase of building prices and uh, everything else, uh, the m amount of money required to build a building right now is really high. 
So we've tried to rent some buildings, we've tried to buy some buildings, and so far nothing's worked out, but we're committed to keep serving as we have the opportunity, as we've been given, as we've been given life and breath. Some weeks we meet at the restaurant, at Oldenburg's restaurant, and as it warms up, we'll probably go back to having services outside again. So the difference between sitting at home and watching the video is that here I just share a message. Sometimes the message I share is even longer than the one that I share live. But when we get together, uh, we are together. We spend time together. We um, pray for each other. So we take prayer requests and pray. We sing, um, share the message, encourage each other. People usually hang out and talk to each other afterwards. It's so much more personable than just sitting in your house or whatever you're doing, watching a video. So video church is helpful, but video church is not the answer to having a relationship with people in the church. It's not the answer for everything. So video church is not going to replace the gathering of people in the church. On the other hand, because of COVID and the numbers are rising and everything, we don't want to do anything that would cause that to spread. So we're trying to be careful. Anyway, you can support River Rock Church by giving online at riverrockchurch.com. So we need more money for the general fund than we do for the building fund right now so we can keep going. So as you can imagine, COVID has um, been um, difficult for our attendance and finances and everything else. Maybe it has been for yours too. Anyway, uh, we want to know how to pray for you. So let us know at uh, riverrockchurch.com pray. You can hear past messages or watch past messages. Go to riverrockchurch.com watch, riverrockchurch.com listen. We have life groups that meet, a men's group, a women's group, an adult group that meets on Friday nights, a youth group, Bible quizzing team still going. Um, so those are some things that we're still doing. And um, anyway, so check that out. Go to our website for more information. So glad that you spent the time here. So anyway, I am so excited. Let me just pray real quick. Jesus, I thank you so much that we have been given your word and we have been given the opportunity to believe in you, to be saved and to go around and tell others how they too can be saved. Lord, uh, sin is a, is a bigger problem than a virus and you are the cure. Lord, help us to be quick to hand out the cure to assure people that it is a good cure and that it will help them for all eternity. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great week. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.